Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Starts with Welcome to Tuesday night. It is hard to believe we're only second day into this week because it feels like I've been at this for a week now, given what I had to go through today. And I feel like you're going to think the same thing in a hot minute. Um, so I was all prepared to bring you this like story of new video that we got in our hands today. Um, the first video I showed you weeks ago was of two teens in Vegas slamming into the back of an innocent cyclist, killing them laughing while they're videotaping it and then sharing it at school. Now we have new video tonight. And as I was about to bring that to you as my top story, something else happened. They showed up in court. And when they got there, I expected they'd be fully chastened by all of this. I expected they would have grim looks on their faces as teenagers facing very adult charges and very likely the possibility of a lifetime in adult jail prison. Instead, today, those teenagers were in court, smiling, laughing, snickering between themselves. And then if you can believe it, and maybe you can, given the story that we've had to deal with so far, grinning at the widow of the cyclist they allegedly killed. Grinning at the daughter of the cyclist they allegedly killed. That actually happened. That wasn't even the lead story tonight. The lead story tonight was the video I was going to show you that we just got our hands on. Because there was a cyclist who was rammed before the victim who died. And that senior citizen survived. And now that video is out. And what do you know, folks? Laughing and giggling. Ram him. Get him, get him, get him. All the same pattern more cell phone video of the gleeful attempted murder of a senior citizen on a bicycle. If that wasn't enough, video from the police body cam of what that kid said in the backseat of the cruiser. How serious did that kid think it was? Just wait. Just wait until you hear what that kid said. All of that is coming up in just a moment. And it's a lot, trust me. And then um, we got our first look at that pilot. The captain who was like taking a free ride in the jump seat of a cockpit of two other pilots when he allegedly decided to shut off the plane engines. Here he is. Look at that look. 
There is so much more to this story today. He was charged with 83 counts of attempted murder for every passenger on that plane. The police say, according to the pilots who were trying to fly that plane, this guy, who's a pilot himself, a captain even, tried to grab those levers that shut off the engines in case of fire, shut off the fuel to the engines, shutting down the engines, bringing down that plane. We know a whole lot about what happened before and after, the struggle in the cockpit. And guess what? It wasn't the only incident on the plane. There was a struggle in the back of the plane, too. So, yeah, there's a reason this guy looks real sad, real depressed, real scared, because his entire life is ahead of him behind bars. 83 counts? Of attempted murder? Oh, yeah, and the feds decided to add one more today. That one alone, carrying 20 years. I'm going to give all that to you, as well as the stories and the quotes from the flight attendants, from the passengers, and from the pilots. Also, it feels like every day, uh, you know, can't go by without a manhunt. So, yep, we got another one tonight. And I was going to bring you the story of those four Georgia inmates, because they've made two arrests. The only problem is it's not the inmates. The escapees are still out there. They arrested two other people, and the connections are crazy. I can tell you this. The police say one of the guys they arrested is the driver of that blue Dodge Challenger. You know, the one that was parked outside the jail that night at 10 o'clock at night? The one that some guy got out of and, like, went through a fence, cut a hole, dropped off a book bag? They say they got that driver. I'm going to tell you all about not only that guy, but the second person they arrested, who's an itty-bitty, itty-bitty female, all four foot eleven of her. What's that about? What did she, did she bake the cake? I mean, what the heck is going on and how close are they to finding the four? All of that is coming ahead. I want to start, though, with um, when we as journalists are, are telling stories, it can get very repetitive to use adjectives like disgusting and vile, foul, sickening, unbelievable, repulsive, uh, Many times those are just hyperbole, but every single one of those adjectives applies to what we saw in a courtroom in Vegas today. It was supposed to be like one of those routine hearings for those two teenagers. One was 17, the other one uh, was 16. Both of them arrested, charged adult with uh, a battery of crimes after they videotaped themselves, police say, ramming the back of Amdi Probst. You know, senior citizen out for a bike ride, 6 o'clock in the morning, killing them. Videotape themselves laughing while doing it. But right before that, they videotaped themselves ramming another senior citizen, police say. That one didn't die, but that videotape is out now too. And if you were incensed by what you saw the first time, you'll probably be incensed by what you see this time too. So I've got a lot of videos to show you. Um, The first one I want to show you, though, is that second video of the first cyclist being rammed, the one who didn't die, in his 70s. Both of these cyclists, senior citizens, the one in his 70s did not die. But pay close attention to the laughing and the encouragement to hit this guy and just the gleeful nature of this crime as it's being committed. Take a look. Bump him, bump him, bump him, bump him. You think this juvenile will do something? I'll be out on like 30 days. You might be out of juvie in 30 days and move over to an adult jail. Because that's how bad it is. It's just a uh, idiot run, slap on the rear. 
slap on the wrist? Yeah. Your boy ratted you out. Police say your boy ratted you out. What? No big deal. Crashed a car. Slap on the wrist. Oh, no, we got a lot more. We got a lot more than that, the police say. Boy, did they. That man that you just saw, bump him, bump him, bump him, 71 years old. He survived, thank God. Andy Probst did not. He was killed. So it is no surprise that they're facing murder <laughs> and a battery of other charges. I want to just ask the control room, do we have that video of the courtroom? I know we were trying to spin that really quickly to get it ready. Uh, let's pop that video up of the courtroom hearing today. Here they are. Oh, hi. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, oh, and the camera's there looking at you, smiling at each other. Hey, what's up? That's your boy, the one who ratted you out. Later, they gave the grin to the widow of Andy Probst and the daughter of Andy Probst, the cyclist who didn't survive, the ramming and the laughing and the videotaping. And you can put your hand up all you want to shield yourself from the camera. We see you. We are all watching you. And we know you're teenagers, 16 and 17. The 17-year-old turned 18. It didn't matter. Even though he was 17 at the time of the crime, they're still charging him as an adult. Here they go. Up they go. And they gave a grin. It's, it just defies. It defies everything we stand for in society. Look at this. There's a grin. We're obviously shielding the family members from this. We don't want their sorrow uh, to be broadcast across the country. It's just... It's so unbelievable. And, and today, even more evidence, surveillance video of them running with those face masks on that we saw in the first cell phone videos, running from the police, trying to do a foot chase. They were caught. But the whole mask, the running, and then the conversation in the cruiser, what's the big deal? We just crashed a car. What's the big deal? Oh, we have, we have a lot more than that. Trust me. We have a lot more than that, the cop says. I want to bring in um, Mark Garagos criminal defense attorney, co-host of Reasonable Doubt podcast with Adam Carolla. Uh, Garagos, uh, <laughs> I have teenage boys, believe it or not, 16 and 18, <laughs> same ages as these kids. And I thought after several weeks of the jail bars closing on these kids in adult jail and their lawyers telling them how serious this got, I thought there would be a serious chastening. And then I saw what I just saw in that courtroom. The judge sees it too, right? Does the judge have an affect? Does this do the same thing to a judge that it's doing to me? Uh, To some degree. And as much as you might counsel your client that uh, pretend like you're in church or you're serious or, uh, you know, it's only going to last for whatever period of time you're in a courtroom, you generally... Um, this is your worst nightmare if you're the defense lawyer. And you, Ashley, you said you have two boys, so you understand it. I mean, you know, you make all the arguments about the boys develop uh, later and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I, uh, in a case like this, I identify more with the senior who's a cyclist because I'm out on the street and that's part of the social contract is you expect that people aren't going to ram you with your car when you're out on the street every morning. Mark, um, I know that you haven't spent time behind bars, but I know that a lot of your clients have. And typically, they are adult clients. And adult jail is a very frightening place with very dangerous, frightening people, both on the outside and on the inside. These are kids who will very likely 
spend possibly 70 years. I mean, a life sentence when you're 16 years old is 70 plus years. I wonder if it's if it's sinking in for them. Is their attorney telling them this? Uh, are, are, how are they treated by other inmates? How are they even housed? Well, in most most jurisdictions, I don't know about this particular jurisdiction. Even if you are a juvenile at the time, they uh, and tried in adult court, they will still house you in a juvenile facility. Other jurisdictions, they will have a juvenile wing in the adult facility. Are there lawyers talking to them? Yes, I guarantee you the lawyers are talking to them, trying to counsel them, trying to advise them that this does them no good to be in there in a courtroom smiling or laughing or, or doing anything of that sort. But it's an awful situation. I, I it's it's very hard to believe that they understand the magnitude of what they've done or what the the mess that they're in. And unfortunately, uh, things like this are going to be used against them. It's also going to remember, it's not just the judge. The prosecutor really holds the key in these kinds of cases. The prosecutor gets to decide where are they charged. The prosecutor gets to Wait, decide. Mark, I just want to point that out. The, the video that we're watching right now, as they walked out of court, they looked over to their right, and that was the grin they gave to the family. They knew full well who they were grinning at. It wasn't an accident. There was nobody in front of the family we could misconstrue. Here they are. They're walking down, and they're crossing the courtroom in front of that court officer. They look to the right, and they grin at the victims, the, 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 the wife of Andy Probst and the daughter of Andy Probst who lost their, their dad and, and their husband. So my question for you is, does the judge understand that they don't understand the magnitude of what they've done? And does the judge take into account the youth and the fact that they don't understand when perhaps dealing with sentencing guidelines? Or does the judge see all of this, make a note and say, this is going into the case. This behavior in court, no matter how young they are, goes into the case. Well, that's what I was leading up to. I mean, the judge may or may not and may or may not have seen that. But if, in fact, this was directed towards the 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 victim's family, you're going to have the victim's family immediately talk to the prosecutor. The prosecutor is then going to bring that to the judge's attention. The prosecutor is then going to make decisions based upon what they perceive as remorse, not lack of remorse, the uh, the approach they take to the case. That's your biggest problem right now, frankly, is not the judge. Their biggest problem right now is the prosecution. All right. Um, I want to keep you on. If, do you have time? Can you stick with me for a second? I got this other story I, I really need you to weigh in on. Can you wait like two seconds? I'll wait for you. It's actually more than two seconds because it's a bit of a lead up. So I want you to listen carefully, Garagos. These these facts that we found out today really, they, they matter in this story. Um, we're going to actually switch to this whole airline issue. We got our first look at the off-duty pilot that the police say tried to bring down that airplane uh, while he was sitting in the jump seat in the cockpit. Here he is. Take a look. This is Captain Joseph Emerson. Yeah, he doesn't look very happy. It's probably a, a, a good reason for that. 44 years old an Alaska Airlines pilot, a captain himself. This was an appearance in Portland, Oregon, just hours ago. It was very quick. The hearing was just about five minutes total. But you can see that he was tired. He looked emotional. Um, he's talking to his lawyer there. We never heard a word for him because they were talking through that, that partition there. That's his lawyer. And he was going to, like, his lawyer entered the not guilty plea on his behalf. He did not get bail. 
he is not getting out. Uh, he's facing an extra charge today as well, on top of the 83 state attempted murder charges for the 83 passengers and the 83 reckless endangerment charges for the 83 passengers and one count of endangering an aircraft. Now the feds have decided to kick in an extra charge, and that's interfering with flight crew. And that alone carries 20 years. Just that one on the bottom, 20 years. There's so many developments in this case today. Police have now figured it all out. They say they know exactly what happened in the cockpit before and after. Captain Emerson, they say, tried to bring that plane down by shutting off the engines. It was actually a lot more serious than we thought. It was more serious than we first heard. We now know that they went to something they call a level four. That is the highest threat level for an attempted or actual breach of a cockpit. And here's something uh, that was newly released. Audio tape of the pilot who was talking with air traffic control after Captain Emerson had been removed from the cockpit and was handcuffed at the back of the airplane. Listen to this. The threat is now in the back of the airplane. Uh, so we're, we're reduced on the threat level. Uh, I'm, I, we're going to check in with the flight attendant to make sure everything is running smoothly, but it seems like he settled down as soon as he, uh, after the one moment of going uh, a little bit overboard, uh, we put him in the back. So. It escalated to a four. Uh, he's out of the cockpit now. He's uh, handcuffed and he's an aft back jump seat when law enforcement arrives. And uh, right now he's uh, staying calm. A uh, bit of an understatement, saying that he had just gone overboard. <laughs> Once the plane landed, you could see what happened out on the tarmac, uh, arresting officers, grabbing him, actually interviewing pilots and the crew, probably some passengers as well. There they are. Pilots had said that about halfway between Astoria, Oregon, and Portland, after they'd actually been engaging in some casual chit-chat in the cockpit, Captain Emerson in the jump seat announced, quote, I'm not okay. And then tried to pull these two red fire handles. Uh, those handles actually activate the plane's emergency fire suppression system. And they cut off the fuel to the engine, so you know what happens next, right? The engines actually shut down. In case of fire, shut the engines down. Stop the fuel. In case of flying, don't do that. According to the pilots who were at the helm, um, they actually struggled with Emerson briefly. But then weirdly, Emerson like gave up and left the cockpit on his own. The flight attendants then got him to the back of the plane, got wrist restraints on him. During the flight's descent, though, here's what else happened. This is incident number two. Police say that Captain Emerson then tried to pull another fast one. They say he tried to grab the handle of the emergency exit. Flight attendant was apparently able to stop him, put her hands down on his hands. According to those flight attendants, Captain Emerson said this, I messed everything up. I tried to kill everybody. You need to cuff me right now or it's going to be bad. I pulled both emergency shutoff handles because I thought I was dreaming and I just want to wake up. Captain Emerson also admitted to the police that he had struggled with depression for six years and that a friend of his had recently passed away. He said he tried to cope had taken magic mushrooms, psychedelics, but about 48 hours prior to this flight. It's a long time before flight time. He also told the police that he hadn't had any sleep in 40 hours. Passenger on the flight told Newsweek magazine that Emerson on board, quote, looked dead in the eyes. 
So what is in store for this, I think it's fair to say, former airline captain? This is where I have been uh, asking Mark Garagos to be very patient. He's back with me now. So Garagos, he did a lot of talking. You know, he confessed a lot of things. Those quotes are pretty damning. They're to the crew, probably overheard by passengers, lots of witnesses. Everything's documented on the radio airwaves to flight control. If you're his attorney, what are you doing right now? Actually, I'm, I'm to some degree thankful that he did so much talking. Everything that you just said sets him up, and, I, and it seems to track with the reality of the situation. He had some kind of a psychotic break. He had a, there's a mental defense. He thought he was in a dream or a fugue state or whatever you want to characterize it. I'm sure his lawyers have got him seeing a uh, psychiatric or a forensic psych uh, right now. And that's going to be his defense that he was not literally was not in his right mind, could not have formed the intent. And all the things that he said, every single thing you just listed is going to factor into their defense. I will agree with you. He's never uh, ever going to be certified to fly again. But at the same time, I can't imagine, given this and given the fact that he looks already uh, completely remorseful, that somebody's going to say, yeah, we want him uh, put away for the rest of his life based on this. Was Is that the most frightening thing you can think of if you're flying in an airplane? Absolutely, other than both pilots having simultaneous heart attacks. But at the same time, it does not appear he wasn't doing this for financial gain. He wasn't, again, he wasn't doing this because he was, had some yeah. uh, freak ideology. It looks like a psychotic. Okay, men- I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I got 10 seconds left. Uh, 83 attempted murder, 83 reckless endangerment, one count endangering an aircraft, federal charge of interfering with flight crew that holds 20 um, years on its own. Realistically, again, real quick, realistically, how much time do you think he's going to serve, given all the facts that you heard today? I think he's going to be, he'll be placed in a psychiatric facility. That's what I think. I don't, this is not somebody who you're going to warehouse in a uh, federal prison for the rest of his life. For how long will he be in the facility? Until he gets well. I mean, they're, they're going to have to figure out what's the matter with him. Okay, you got to come back because we're going to have a longer conversation about that. Um, we will. I'm being very tight and laconic for you. And well, also, I appreciate your patience. Thank you so much, Mark. Nice to see you. Good to see you too, Ashley. Still to come, finally, finally, two arrests. In the case of those four jail escapees from Georgia, only the missing inmates were not among the arrested. Those guys are still on the run. Nine days and counting. And don't forget, the one on the upper left there, alleged killer. So why were the other two arrested? What do they have to do with the deadly shootout that we reported to you yesterday on this show? Things are getting weird. And P.S., that one on the left there, she had a bitty. Four foot 11. What's she got to do with this? All those details next. Football is the game of life, and it brings the community together. White, black, boys, girls. Flag, tackle. Football can revive communities. That's why I think, you know, football is on the right path. Community with football is very accepting and loving to people who enjoy the sport. Win or lose, they do it as a family. Futureforfootball.com In news, trust is everything. At News Nation, we're earning it every day. 
Through honest reporting, without the partisan propaganda, and representing all sides, News Nation is getting noticed for reporting that's down the middle, for news that's fact-based and reliable, and a trust rating that's higher than CNN, Fox, or MSNBC. Judge News Nation for yourself. Go to joinnn.com now to find News Nation where you live. News Nation is news for all America. Day one, the hardest day. The day you hear. This is a type of blood cancer. But day one is just one day. At the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we are here to help you move past day one. On day 45, I discovered an online community who shared great tips for in-treatment care. I missed a lot of school during treatment, and LLS helped me keep up. To learn more and get help on day two, day 28, or any day, please visit LLS.org or call 1-800-955-4572. Our daughter Jessie loves playing detective. A clue. But since we discovered she has sensitive skin, we've been playing detective, too. We thought the problem was our puppy. But it was actually our old detergent. Uh Aha! So we switched to Tide Free and Gentle. Tide cleans better than the leading competitive free detergent, and it doesn't leave behind irritating residues. Plus, Tide Free and Gentle has no dyes or perfumes, so it's gentle on her skin. Case closed. If it's got to be clean, it's got to be Tide Free and Gentle. You're listening to News Nation. Delivering fact-based, unbiased news from all sides. How was your drive to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then, someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Serving in Afghanistan, I was shot in the head by sniper fire. I was given a 5% chance to live. I'm Adam Alexander, and I'm a veteran. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I tell kids that with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year. My victory is being there for the next generation. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. In a single moment, everything can change. When a player's sudden cardiac event brought a national football game to a halt, it shone a spotlight on the importance of CPR readiness. Now, with youth sports in full swing, the American Heart Association is rallying parents and coaches to be ready in an emergency. To be ready, learn hands-only CPR. It's a skill anyone can learn in minutes. Visit heart.org slash hands-only CPR and become a lifesaver today. Pointed hats. I'm a witch. Talking cats. Look who's talking now. The 90s best acts. Yeah, baby. This Halloween, we do warn. It's the stuff of nightmares. Of buckets and buckets of candy corn. Ah! Halloween is a magical night. On the Sabrina the Teenage Witchoween Marathon. All day starting October 31st at 6 Eastern on Rewind TV. news they've made two arrests in the case of the four georgia inmates who've been on the run for nine days yay except for that they're not the inmates they apparently might be connected to it actually we think they really are given what the cops are saying about the people they arrested first let me just tell you there's a really weird and complicated story of all their last names they're all the same 
Williams, everybody, everybody I'm about to tell you about that is not the four escapees, they're all called Williams. So let's just start here. So the first person that I can tell you about that they've arrested now, um, police say it's the driver of the Dodge. You know that blue Dodge Challenger that was sitting outside the, 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 the jail that night? They got that surveillance picture. This guy's sitting out there at 10 o'clock at night for an hour. And then a, a guy gets out, the driver gets out, he's all clad in black, and he cuts through the fencing and drops a book bag. And what do you know, a couple hours later, four guys get out. So this is Jacqueline Billy Ray Williams. I love that. Jacqueline Billy Ray. I don't know which one he goes by. <laughs> Jacqueline Billy Ray. So that's Jacqueline Billy Ray Williams, 24 years old, charged now with four counts of aiding the escape of those four uh, fugitives. Nine days they've been on the run. I'm shocked. I thought they'd be caught pretty quick. But those four guys, Joey Fournier, Mark Anderson, Travis Stokes, Jonifer Barnwell. Um, so the thing with Jacqueline, and this is super important, really important, because if you know the way policing works, Jacqueline uh, has a whole bunch of other charges that he's dealing with, right? Theft by receiving stolen property, probation violation. He's been arrested on warrants for aggravated assault, criminal trespass, battery, family violence. That's on an unrelated case. But when you are facing down the battering ram of the law like that, uh, the cops have a a really um, effective tool to squeeze you like a lemon so that you'll talk about the lemonade they're looking for. Those are my words. I can tell you this. They do think he is, they say he is the driver of that that Dodge. So he is, according to the police, the guy that was waiting there and probably got out, walked over, cut the hole in the fence, and then, you know, took the book bag inside the fence for the escapees to probably use. They got the Challenger. Remember I told you that it was a, it was a, located at a Biomat USA, a medical building? Well, it turns out it was stolen from an Enterprise rent-a-car a week before the breakout. We don't know at this point if it was Jacqueline who stole the car. We just know he was driving it, according to cops. So he's already out on bail. Wow. I mean, okay. <laughs> it's a weird one for me because I figured they'd be squeezing him day after day, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe he already talked. The second arrest is also kind of kooky. Okay, it's a, a lovely young lady named Makia, Makaya, I, I can't tell, uh, Makia Williams. She's found, facing four counts of aiding and escape. And this lovely young lady is four feet, uh, 10 inches. She itty bitty, 110 pounds. So I don't think she was doing any of the heavy lifting, so to speak. Ironically, she is now cooling her heels at Bibb County Jail. And I know you recognize the name of that jail because that's the jail that those four escapees busted out of. I don't know if it's still easy to break out of. I don't know if that's her plan. I don't know if she's helping in the investigation, but she's charged in connection with it. Here's the weirder thing. Again, did you catch it? Her name is Makia Williams. That first guy was Jacqueline Billy Ray Williams. And yesterday I told you about a guy named Christian Williams. They got a tip. The cops said they went to this apartment. They're looking for the four escapees. They get to the apartment of Christian Williams, again, the third Williams. And somebody starts firing a gun through the door at them. SWAT goes in. They find that he shot himself. He died. He ended up dying. So they didn't get any information from him. But I want to bring in Arthur Roderick. Um, He's a former U.S. Marshal. He ran the fugitive unit, actually, for the U.S. Marshals for 20 years. So, Arthur... That's a lot of facts to process. I want to get your take on where you think this investigation's going, given the whole Williams group 
and the weird fact pattern and the, the driver of the Dodge. Yeah, it's a very, very strange case. Um, I, I think what's happening here is the U.S. Marshals are slowly but surely chipping away at uh, the individuals that at least assisted with the escape. I mean, you look at the individuals that escaped, all four of them are basically from the Macon County, Georgia area. Even Fournier, who seems to be the wild card here, as far as age, and obviously he's a white male, um, uh, has been in the Macon area for about 10 years now. So he has some outside family members or associates that live up in the Virginia area, but also in the North Carolina area. The other three seem to be pretty much from the Macon area. So uh, I think what they're doing here is just chipping away at different things. It's amazing to me the amount of escapes that we've already had this year. And, and when I look at that, when I look at that video and hear about how long that car was parked out there. I know. That guy, it, it, it drives me really, nuts. It drives me nuts it, to hear that. Then that a driver got out, cut through the fence, dropped off the book bag. Real quickly, um, I want to put up a comparison of yeah. the driver, the masked man, and um, Jacqueline Williams, because I think there might be something valuable to those who are trying to piece this case together. So hopefully, there you go. So there's Jacqueline on the right, and there's the masked man on the left. Uh, if I had the full body picture of, of Jacqueline, it might be easier, but I'm sure the cops do. So yeah. question for you, do you think they're doing a full squeeze play on this guy? Because he's got all so, like just so much baggage of charges. Are they squeezing yeah. him and saying, see all these dangly charges that could put you away forever and ever? Tell us where the four inmates are. Is that what's happening? That's that's exactly what's happening. But they're also squeezing Micaiah, too. I mean, her, her name is listed at that address where the shooting occurred uh, yesterday. Uh, with Christian Williams. So um, there's there's a massive tie-in here. Um, they're all local. And I think the thing that's making this difficult is because they are all local, because their support is in that particular area, they can go from one house to house to house uh, every night and change I wonder, their location. I, honestly, I wonder if... Um if Jacqueline met those other four in the Bibb County Jail. Something tells me they did. I have to leave Probably. it there, though. Arthur Roderick, thank you so much. Come back again. Thanks, Ashley. And anybody with info on these inmates, uh, please call the Bibb County Sheriff's Office. It's 478-751-7500. That's actually a different, you know, that's, that's a different, uh, that's the wrong that's the wrong one. I, I, this is the right one. 478-751-7500. I'm going to try and get that for you later and put it up on the screen so you can take a picture. And uh, in the meantime... Coming up next, a family's 30-year hunt for answers as to what happened to their missing loved one. They finally have the answer. But the trail has led them to an enormous killing field, the home of a serial killer. A killing field with over 10,000 human remains. We've got the exclusive live interview with the family that never gave up on this when we come back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. 
And Ramp Software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Nine. That is the number of bodies that have now been identified at an Indiana farm. Nine. And that is nine since 1996. Nine IDs out of at least 25 dead people that were recovered from that 18-acre property. The property is called Fox Hollow. I get the shivers when I hear that, because that name is sort of now an eerie reminder of a series of killings that are connected to that place and all the stuff you're seeing on air. This week, the Hamilton County Coroner's Office in Indiana was able to identify this man. That's Alan Livingston. He was 27. He went missing back in 1993. Has a loving family, loving guy. But he went missing three years before the first gruesome discovery happened on that farm, a skull. Again, this is all nearly 30 years ago, but the skull uh, was actually discovered on that farm by the property owner's kid. 15-year-old son made that discovery, found a skull. Some reports said that that kid didn't even know what he'd found. He really wasn't even He didn't realize it's a human skull. So he actually thought it was funny. He put it on a, a stick, tried to scare his sister, right? But Fox Hollow Farm belonged to a man named Herbert Ballmeister. This is him. He was a local grocery store owner who police now think was a prolific serial killer. I said was because he's no longer. But not even two weeks after his kid found the skull, this guy shot and killed himself while he was up in Canada. I guess he got a sniff that the police were coming for him, so the police never got to him. Couldn't ask him any questions. And the skull, again, found by his 15-year-old boy, the skull led to a very deep investigation. And that investigation ended up discovering nearly 10,000 pieces of human remains. Not a joke. 10,000. They were burned, they were crushed, they were bones, they were fragments, body parts, all of them at the farm. 10,000. And they are remains that police belong to men who started to disappear between the mid-1980s and the mid-1990s. Police think that that guy's crimes go way beyond the farm. He was married, father of three, they always are. Um, And they say he liked to frequent gay bars and try to lure men to his home, only to then murder them. But advancements in DNA science and forensic genealogy, along with a never-ending effort by Alan's family, led the authorities to re-examine Alan's case and then allow Alan's family, especially his ailing mom, to get some closure in what was a freezing cold case. The Hamilton County coroner who spearheaded this project at the farm, his name is Jeff Jellison, he asked a whole bunch of families like Alan Livingston's, to please submit some DNA samples to us. We, we can work with this. And if you can believe it, out of 10,000 sets of human remains dug up at that farm, 44 of them were initially tested. And Alan's body was the first to be identified. The first. Like, think about this for a second. Alan 
It's his family that, that was behind the push to start the, the resolution of these cases. And Alan is the first one to be identified. The coincidence is just mind-blowing. And nobody knows that more than Jeff Jellison, right? The, the Hamilton County coroner, who is now with me live. Joining us also is Eric Pranger. He's Alan's cousin, part of the family that just never, ever gave up hope. Guys, thank you so much uh, for, for being with me tonight. Eric, I want to ask you first, how is your family processing all of this, especially Alan's mom? She's doing quite well. Uh, she's got the closure that she needed. I mean, closure is a tough word, right? I don't know what it means for her. It means different things to different people. But, you know, this is your cousin, too. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I mainly did this for her. She's 77 years old, and she deserves closure for her son that's been missing for 30 years. So, um, Jeff, it is such a, a complete bizarre coincidence that Alan Livingston is the first one to be ID'd, and it's Alan Livingston's family who worked so closely with you to spearhead this this entire project, used modern science to solve a 30-year-old crime. I, I can't get over the coincidence. But at the same time, I'm still really curious about the crimes themselves. As the coroner, with those 10,000 pieces of human remains, have you been able to determine anything about the way in which these crimes were carried out and what these victims endured? In the middle 90s, but initial investigation, uh, we did have an indication that one of the deceased that had previously been identified uh, died of a, as asphyxia. Uh, we located a broken hyoid bone that kind of directed us to that as a cause of death. Was there anything else like tool marks? I mean, in your line of work, if you're dealing with 10,000, um, you know, samples of remains, there was probably an extremely aggressive process that this killer used to get rid of those remains. Do you know what the killer did? To, um, to get rid of the remains and cause so many different pieces at that farm? They were burnt. They were crushed. A good portion of those 10,000 remains are as small as a fingernail. Uh, so it, we don't have a lot to work with, uh, but thankfully I have this fantastic team of forensic experts that's working alongside me um, to, to identify these remains. Eric, 30 years is a long time uh, to wait. Um, you, you barely look 30. I'm just wondering, was there at any point a time when you or your family members were just ready to give up this, this fight? Yeah, my aunt was ready to give up years ago. Um, she's made several calls like before Jeff was there, um, and she just lost hope. And uh, I made the phone call, and we were able to reopen the case and get results. Well, I, I am so, um, I have such mixed emotions. I'm so happy for you, Eric, that you and your family have answers to this mystery. I'm so sad that the, the answers are what they are. Um, but you know what, Jeff Jellison, you are a hero for continuing this effort and making these discoveries and helping these families. I, I look forward to continuing this story with you as you continue to make discoveries. Will you come back again, Jeff? Absolutely. Uh, Eric's the hero. Because of Eric's phone call to me, we were able to identify his cousin. And I'm confident we're going to make many more identifications as a result of that one phone call. Well, amen to that. I'm hoping for good things. Thank you to both of you. And I just want to let our audience know that if you believe uh, that you might be a relative 
of one of these missing um, persons connected to the case, you can contact the Hamilton County Coroner's Office. There's the number, 317-770-4415. Again, 317-770-4415. Take a picture. I always say, if you can't memorize the number, take a quick picture of your TV screen and then uh, pass that information on. Post it on social media. And coming up next, here we go again. Another manhunt, a killer on the loose right now, but this one may just be evil incarnate. There is something different about this suspect, this fugitive. Something darker, more insidious, more cruel. Do not let that smile fool you. Police say it involves his family and his wife and his kids. And this story does not have a good outcome. He is considered armed and dangerous. I'm going to give you the full story next. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You have heard me say these words a lot on this program. A killer is on the loose. Uh, There's a manhunt. A bolo. Be on the lookout. And that is the case right now in the state of Massachusetts. A mom of four is dead. Police are hunting for her killer. But this manhunt has some sickening, twisted details that set it apart. That is Brianna Pennington, 30 years old, uh, lying dead in her bed uh, when police found her. They said her husband came up to her and shot her in the face on Sunday, in bed. In the face. Takes a sick, twisted person to point the trigger, uh, pull it in someone's face. Man on the run is her husband father of their four kids, Aaron Pennington. And there's more. They have four little kids, ages two, five, seven, and nine. And those little kids were left behind. They had to go to the neighbors on Sunday morning and tell them what they found. And then say, my dad's missing. Brianna was dead in her bedroom. This was a couple who from the outside looked like they had it all. Nice two-story house, hours drive from Boston, nice car, white BMW, four little kids. Aaron Pennington, member of the Mormon church. He's an Air Force vet, 33 years old, 6'2", 175 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, keep an eye. They say he's got a history of mental health issues. They're assuming that he's armed and dangerous. Those four kids tonight are in um, the custody of the state. So where's Aaron? Deer Hunter found that BMW yesterday near some woods, about three miles from the home. They're asking everyone to check their trail cams. They have no idea what they're going to find when they find Aaron, if they find Aaron. Uh, tonight's his third night on the run. And according to court documents, he has threatened to kill himself before. This is his face. Take a good look. Call 911 or the Worcester County, Massachusetts authorities if you by chance happen upon him. Up next, some bad news for that 70s show, Danny Masterson, who is already going to spend 30 years in prison for rape. 
His freedom's gone, his wife is gone, his kids are gone. So what about those friends in the Church of Scientology? Yeah, we get some news about that too. And that's next. You know, um, this is all, I love this. I love it. You know how everybody gets religion in prison? They find Jesus. I mean, I know a lot of inmates who found Jesus behind bars. Danny Masterson might want to start looking for a new religion. The actor from that 70s show, who you will remember, was convicted of rape and has been sentenced to 30 years behind bars. He has reportedly been booted from the Church of Scientology. Using the the special language of that church, Masterson has been declared a, quote, suppressive person, which means he's out. Uh, People familiar with the church say that suppressive person, that label gets slapped on anybody uh, who the church decides is, quote, not maintaining the ethical high standards of the church. So let's recap. Daddy Masterson, convicted rapist, freedom gone, wife gone, kids gone, and now he is kicked out of the Church of Scientology. Uh, The upside here is that 30 years is a very long time for somebody to actually find a new religion. And that is possibly what's going to happen to Danny Masterson. Lots of machinations. I'm sure he's going to appeal and all the rest. But it's kind of odd uh, that that he's not kicked out for having committed rape. It's just for being a 